Isn't it good to have our praise team back? Wow. They've sung really our prayer over the last several weeks that we might get so in touch with the unshakable realities of God's kingdom that even right now we can already start to dance to the music we'll know then. If if we we can live by those truths now. Uh, I love that scene. um, What was that Kendrick movie where his daughter has passed away and he goes back to that place where he had earlier refused her a dance outside a bank because he didn't want to look silly. Do you remember that? And he goes back to that spot and he puts the earbuds in his ear and he steps out in front of God and everybody in that sunshine and dances with his daughter. He could hear the music. And he turns his head towards heaven and asks the Lord, Lord, will you tell my girl I did the dance? Don't you want to be able to dance like that, this side of glory? There's no reason to put it off. There's there's no reason to wait. Those realities are eternal and unshakable. All the things of this earth will pass away, but not that. And that great reality is breaking into our reality. We can dance, uh, not to a different drummer, but to a whole different tune. The truth of the kingdom. Philippians has taught us to be... uh, Keepers of this which we've been given in Christ, these great treasures. It, we're like keepers of a, of a holy flame, as the picture shows us there. What's been given us in Christ, it, it's a fire that despite the circumstances, I still love that picture of the waves and the coldness and the gray all around, and yet that fire, despite the circumstances that surround it burns and warms. And what's, what's been given us in Christ is kind of like that, that our fire, this holy flame, what we've been given in Christ is something that uh, if we neglect it, we'll, we'll lose touch with it. It's something that must be tended and fueled and stoked and stirred and rekindled within us. Paul has told us that it comes from our reconnecting with Christ, our connection with Christ. He says in chapter 1, verse 7, as we've studied in the past, you all are partakers of this grace with me. The fire is Christ. We, we find it in reconnecting to Him. But not just that, we also can find it when we reconnect with one another. When we encourage this reality and remind this reality uh, to one another. He talks about thanking the Philippians for their participation in the gospel up until now. And that word for participation is often not translated participation, it's translated fellowship. And and, and maybe what holds those two together is is the way I like to deem it as partnership. It's said of the disciples that Jesus found on the shoreline that they were quanonoi, 
with one, with one another in the fishing business. They were partners. And so Paul celebrates the fact that we're not alone in this, and it's not just us in Christ, that we've been given one another to stir this hope and this fire and this passion in one another's hearts, to dance the dance now and not to put it off till heaven. In chapter 2 of Philippians, I hope you brought your scriptures with me because I, I planned this morning just to kind of dance back through this incredible book, picking out different scriptures to remind us of where we've been on this journey. Today's the last message in this series. We'll close out the book of Philippians uh, today. Um, in, in chapter 2, verse 17, Paul says in this idea of encouraging, reigniting this fire in one another, he says, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. Paul rejoices. He shares it with the Philippians. But the next verse says, and you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. It's like, it's, it's, it's like we're a community huddled in the wind, you know, and, and whenever our fire gets burned out, we turn to the guy or gal next to us and say, can I have a light? And we keep relighting each other's fire. And, and now he, he says, rejoice and share my joy with all of you. And you rejoice and share your joy with me. But the circumstances that they're living in are anything but joyful. The circumstances don't seem to warrant it at all. Paul, remember, is imprisoned in Rome. Basically, he's dropped in a hole in the ground. It stinks, it's dark, it's damp. It's, it's prison conditions for which a warden would be arrested immediately in the United States today. He's imprisoned in Rome and he's awaiting a likely death sentence. It's coming any time now. You can hear it in, in the letter. He, he hopes it will turn out well for him, but if, if he lives, then that, that's a good thing. He gets to encourage his brothers and relight their fire, and if he doesn't, well, to die is gain, he said. And the Philippians, he says in one, chapter 1, verse 30, that they are experiencing the same conflict that he himself experiences. And it's not really defined exactly what that is. But if it's the same kind of conflict that Paul's in, then maybe it's persecution. Or, or maybe it's going without. Or, or maybe it's that they've even been imprisoned. Remember, Paul was imprisoned first in Philippi. And that night, God shook the jail and the, 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 Phili the Philippian jailer discovered that God was real and said to Paul, how can I then be saved? And that jailer became the first deacon in the church of Philippi, right? What, what an incredible turn of events. Paul started out under trumped-up charges as if he was anti-Roman, getting beaten with, rob, with rods, which would kill most men. He and Silas, and they were thrown into the stocks, put, put in uh, iron bracelets that were connected to the walls. And late at night, in that place, they didn't grumble. They didn't complain. They, they didn't nurse their wounds. What did they do? They sang praises to God. And somehow that reality so shook that prison that the doors couldn't stay on their hinges. 
and the jailer discovered that the doors were off, certainly the prisoners would have escaped, and if the prisoners escaped, then that means he, as a Roman guard, gives up his life for not guarding the lives of those that were entrusted to him. He falls on his knees as if to take his own life, and Paul screams out from inside the prison, Don't harm yourself, we're still here. You're still here? Yes, we just took a pause. We were just changing verses. Come on in and enjoy the praise party. And he did. <laughs> and he did. What would happen if that dance and if that song could overwhelm the circumstances where we are? Where we could be not only more tuned into it, but in tuning into it, we somehow resonate with heaven so that heaven's reality starts breaking into our circumstances. That's the biblical pattern there. It's not just a, a, a mental mindset, though it is that. It's not just a mental mindset of, of, of getting in your happy place. Getting in your happy place has everything to do with imagination and fancy and the lack of reality. This has to do with ultimate reality. An unshakable reality. Paul's circumstances, the Philippian circumstances, they certainly, certainly don't want it, but they found in Christ something that's more powerful than the experience of, of, than of being in their circumstances. In this series, we, we, we've tried to take on that challenge to be keepers of what we've been given, to not let anything steal, no circumstances steal our connection with what's been given us, our, our joy. We have a God who loves us, a love that pursues us and will not let us go, a spirit within us, and all of heaven ahead of us. <laughs> Where can't we be joyful? We have a hope that cannot be taken away. Paul says in verse 6 of chapter 1, I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it, will continue to complete it until the day of Christ. We can have hope. We can have purpose. Paul says, this one thing I do, I press on. Even prison could not keep him from his purpose. He was in chains, and yet he used those chains to convert the soldiers that held him captive. Every, every eight hours, uh, he got another one on the end of the chain. Until the whole Praetorian Guard had been converted. In fact, at the end of the book, he actually gives those converts greetings to the Philippians that have supported Paul while he's been in prison. We can't be alienated from our purpose. We can't be alienated from our passion, for it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We cannot be separated our, for, from our peace before the, because the Lord is near. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace. No matter what the circumstances. Don't forfeit it. Don't let it go. Remember what is true. And what will always be true. No matter what 
temporal realities you face in this world. T today we focus on one last gem in the crown of those who know they're in Christ. One last gem, and that is the gem of contentment. It can't be taken away if you're solidly in Christ. Let's read the verses, starting with verse 10. I'm going to go all the way to the end of the book. There's just something about getting to a finish line that I like. Here we go. Ready? But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, Paul writes, that now, at last, you have, received, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have uh, done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, Philippi's in Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. They had been supporters of him, even as he went on to share the gospel, particularly, he says, in Thessalonica. And if you read Thessalonians, Paul makes a big deal about the fact that he was accused of preaching the gospel in order to get money. And there in Thessalonians, he accepted no money from anyone, even from the church there, that the gospel might have its credibility. The Philippians supported him. He did his tent work and all that kind of other kind of stuff when he was in Thessalonica. But he makes a point to the Thessalonians that I was no burden on you at all. My presence with you in Thessalonica was all gift. And Philippi was a partner with him, a quaternoi with him, in that process, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. In order to understand that, look at, I think it is 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul talks about when we cast our seed, give in to God's economy. It's not just those that we bless with those gifts that are blessed, but God to whom we're giving it, blesses us back. There's a blessing boomerang involved. Not because we can count on those that we give to reciprocating, but because we can count on the one that we've honored reciprocating. You follow me? That, that's the thought behind it. That I seek the profit which increases to your account, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, that was the messenger from Philippi to Rome, who went there not only with these gifts to support him, but also Epaphroditus was to stay and to serve Paul in his imprisonment. He was their representative. I received it from Epaphroditus, what you have sent. And this, listen how he describes it. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There it is, the blessing boomerang. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But he can't finish there. He's already said the amen. 
but he's a preacher. He goes on to say, greet every saint. Now, saints are just believers in Christ Jesus, other believers. Greet every believer in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. He's talking about those that are in prison with him, those that are his partners in the gospel. Those brethren, they greet you, but it doesn't stop there. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You know, he turned to Brutus that he was changed to. And he said, Brutus, you want to get in on this? And he said, yeah, bless him for me. Right? Even the guards, those of Caesar's household, send their blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. God, help them hear the music and free them to dance right where they are. That's, that's Paul's prayer. That's been his message. And that's his hope, I think, for each of us. Paul talks about a secret. A secret that's his in all circumstances. Whether he's being filled or whether he's going hungry. Uh, the secret of contentment. He, he then just says it in chapter 4, verse 13, so we don't miss it. And it's been his message all along, hadn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, have you ever connected those all things to all circumstances? That's what he's talking about. I can do all circumstances. I can do them. Based on he who never forsakes me is always with me. I don't need to be anxious. Why? Because the Lord is near. I don't have to resent the loss of anything I've lost over my life. Why? Because I count it all as rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. It's all about Jesus for Paul. And he's found something in Christ that he has and that cannot be taken away from him that is greater than anything in this world that he'll ever lack. I hope that's ringing in your spirit by now. Because you, my friends, if you are in Christ, you have that same treasure. God help us to, to live like it. Paul says, not that I speak from want. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, not that I, I'm wanting stuff and you're responding to it. Not that I speak from want. You've given me this gift and that's great. But, but I was content even before you gave it. God, God has supplied it, and I thank Him for that, and I thank you for that. But, 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 but I know this secret of the contentment. It's the same as for joy and for peace and for purpose. Keeping in Christ and knowing the joy of what you already have in Him. Not that I speak from want. Now, Paul was in a prison in Rome, and he was saying those things. But Max Lucado talks about the fact that um, there's a much more populated prison. In fact, it's, it's the prison that many of us may be in, and he calls it the prison of want. Listen to how he describes this. I wish I could preach like this guy writes. He's, he's amazing. Listen to this. You've seen her prisoners... This prison of want. They want something bigger, nicer, faster, thinner. They want a new job, a new house, a new spouse. 
If you feel better when you have more and worse when you have less, guess what? You're in this prison. If your happiness comes from something you deposit or something you drive or drink or digest, then face it. You're behind its bars, but this is the good news. Even if you're in the prison of want, he says you have a visitor. And the visitor at your door, let him be David himself from Psalm 23, who writes, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And that is so much satisfaction that all my other wants seem to fade away. I turn my eyes upon Jesus. And the things of this earth grow dim in the light of his glory and grace. David has found where discontent goes to die. Listen to that. David has found and shared with us where discontent goes to die. What I have in God is greater than anything I don't have in this life. So let me ask you, do you have enough? Do you have enough? Does your heart experience the kind of contentment that that, that we're talking about? Uh, There was a popcorn vendor in, uh, uh, in New York and a very well-to-do uh, businessman, guy from Wall Street. After lunch every day, he would often stop by the popcorn vendor and, and just get a little popcorn on the way back to the office. And one day, he showed up, and the vendor was already shutting down the stand. And he said, hey, what gives? It's, it's noontime. I'm glad I got here early. I would have missed my popcorn. And he says, yeah, I'm shutting down for the day. And he said, shutting down from the day? Why is that? He says, well, I'm, I'm going home to sit on the porch with my wife and sip a little tea. And the Wall Street guy says, you can't do that. You can't do that. You've got the whole afternoon. Think about all the profit that you'll be missing. You've got to stay here and sell. There's, there's so much more money to make. And the street vendor kind of smiled and turned towards this young man in the prison of want. And he said, so if, if I stay and I make more money, then what? And he said, well, if you make more money, you'll have more money, and you can invest in, in, in more vendor stations. And if you have more vendor stations, then you'll have more, more guys pushing your product, and you'll still make more money. And he says, yeah, yeah, and when I have all that money, then what? And he says, when you're really rich, then you can go home to your wife and sit on the porch and sip iced tea. And the vendor said, well, I much already have enough because I'm going to go do that right now. <laughs> John D. Rockefeller said it clearly. They, they asked him, what does it take 
for a man's heart to be truly satisfied. John D. Rockefeller, rich beyond belief. Do you remember what his answer was? Just a little more. Folks, if, if, if we are spelling content, M-O-R-E, we're likely being robbed of our contentment. After Rockefeller died, that same Rockefeller, someone has, been, uh, uh, has said that his accountant was asked a question. And they asked him this question, how much did old Rockefeller leave? His answer, all of it. All of it. I want you to think about your own stuff for a minute, as painful as this may be. It's only painful for a little while, and then you'll be released from it, okay? Think about all the stuff you had, all of it. And then let me remind you, it isn't yours. It's not yours forever. John D. Rockefeller discovered that. And if you belong to Christ, then you and all you have belongs to Him. It's not yours, especially if you're in Christ. And not only is it not yours, it's not you. It's not the measure of who you are. Jesus said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for not even when one has an abundance, not even when one does have a lot, does his life consist of his possessions. A man came to his pastor. He was needing some counsel. He, he walked in his office and just blurted out, I've lost everything. And the pastor turned around and looked up at him and he said, I'm sorry to hear that. Have you lost your faith? And he said, no, no, I, I haven't lost my faith. That's not what I mean. He said, well, have you lost your salvation? No, I haven't lost my salvation. Have you lost your character? No, pastor, that's not what I'm talking about. And then the pastor says, well, whatever it is, you've lost. It must not be everything. Because the things that really matter are still yours. I wonder if we can pray with the Puritan. I think I've got a picture of this Puritan. This used to be up in, in my... Do you remember that guy? Anybody you have that up somewhere in your house? I know we used to have this guy, the, the Puritan, and, and someone has imagined. Uh, all he's got there is, is, is a little thin soup and a loaf of bread. And, and he's bowing in prayer in thanks for that. Someone has imagined what his prayer is. And they've said it's probably this. All this... And Jesus too. Can we be as in touch with that eternal reality that, that we could pray that prayer? 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godly because when we are godly, we... We're consumed by a purpose that's bigger than us. It's not just our contentment that frees us. Uh, 
We've got something bigger than ourselves to invest in. And, and when our purpose is bigger than ourselves, it's amazing how that frees us from the prison of want. I, I watch kids go to Belize year after year. Adults go to Belize year after year and come back from experiencing that culture when what little we had in our pocket made a huge difference in somebody else's lives, bought them groceries for a month. And, and I watch us come back into this culture, and, and there's a real strain. When you pick up your $50 hair dryer, they, they, they've been freed momentarily from the American prison of want. And they almost resist that reculturating into the rhythms of our life. They've gone there and they found that, that peasants sometimes are, are more joyful than millionaires <laughs> because they're more aware of what they have than what they lack. You, you run across a person like this, they'll change you forever. And you don't have to go to Belize to find them. You can find them in this room. If we are people that are that in touch with what we have in the Lord. You, Lord, keep in perfect peace, says Isaiah in chapter 26, verse 3. You, Lord, keep in perfect peace those who keep their purpose firm. And put their trust in you. Acts twenty two thirty five. Jesus is accredited with this phrase. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you hear that? More blessed to give than to receive. That sounds like an engine revving up to me. An engineer would see that as an increasing cycle. I give and then God gives more and I give more and then God gives more and then I give more. That, that, that's the picture that's there. Giving has a boomerang of blessing. It affects us as a giver. They, they've seen it on MRIs. Have you seen these MRIs? You tell people that, uh, some, that part of their uh, hospital bill is going to serve those in a third world country. They actually tried this. They came in for the MRI. They told them that. And when they told them that, that part of their brain that responds to pleasure lit up like a Christmas tree. There's something healthy and healing about finding the joy of blessing someone else. Her, her name was Patty. Uh, in another one of Max Lucado's books, he tells the story of, of this woman that uh, he was preparing her funeral with her husband and her daughter. And they would go on and on. They couldn't count all the people that she had affected with her hugs and her changed diapers and her smile. And to see her smile was to watch the winter snow melt in the spring. She just lit up a room. Just that kind of joy. And the deep part of her joy was that she got to help others. Well, three months before she died, she had some uh, brain problems and, and then had a stroke and she lost her speech completely and could not walk anymore. 
And her daughter went to visit her in the hospital, and she had never seen her so low, so depressed, unable to eat, difficulty sleeping at night. She, she was really, even though she was struggling under all those effects, her daughter recognized that she was more a zombie than her condition warranted. She had never seen her mom that low, and then she had an idea. She had an idea. She put her mom in, in, in a wheelchair and started down the hall and said, Mom, you want to pray for somebody? And she wheeled in the first room. And though mom couldn't say a word, she could still touch with one side. And she could still pray. And so she'd pat somebody on the back and then reach out and touch them on the chest at their heart and just bow her head and mumble through a prayer. And when she got finished there, she'd slap her daughter on the hand as if to say, the next one, the next one. And they went from room to room to room to room. And that rehabilitation center, and that night mom ate a full meal. That night mom slept through the night. God calls us to bless others not because he's a cosmic killjoy, but because he wants the joy that's in him to be the joy that's in us. He's not trying to rob us of something. He's trying to give us something. And and one of those things, at least, is the, the freedom from this prison of want. Somehow the Philippians are already free. Did you hear it talking about their history of it? They've been supporting Paul for years. In fact, from the time they first came into Christ, it seems that, that they were wanting part of it. They were wanting to be partners in it. They were wanting to be a fellowship that, that was sharing this kingdom work. And he says that they've shared in it from the beginning again and again in the letter. They had a history of it, a momentum of this kind of trust, of knowing this kind of boomerang blessing. And now this gift that they're given, this financial gift of some kind of support, we don't know how much it was, but it seems to have met his every need, Paul. He he is supplied in abundance, amply supplied. I have an abundance. Everything I've received in full, he says. It, It must have been a significant gift. And Epaphroditus had brought it. And he had brought it to Paul, but Paul makes the point in the very next verse that this wasn't just a gift to me. You've gotten in on God's economy here. What was sent was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And, and, And if you've honored God, God's in this, and my God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Can't outgive God. And it's interesting how contentment in God frees us for generosity with God. What a hindrance that is to leave behind. And the work that they sustained through Paul in Rome is now no longer money. It's now brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity. 
And the next letter he writes back sends them the greetings from those they've participated, partnered in saving for all eternity. How's that for a quick turnaround? How's that for a blessing boomerang? He pronounces it, and then he shows them that it's so before he finishes the letter. Let me ask you, are you content enough to be free enough to do the same? Are you, like the Philippians, uh, all you need is an opportunity. We are about to celebrate our 20th anniversary in this place. You've invested, you and others like you that have been a part of this fellowship, have partnered to the tune of millions to build this church and to build this fellowship over 20 years. And like the Philippians, you've been a part of that momentum and a part of that history. I don't have to beg you to give. Sometimes I have to hold you back. I try not to do that. I wonder if you'd be willing to invest thousands, not to build a church over 20 years, but to build a a church with that offering for a pastor and his church that's halfway around the world. In Kathmandu, Nepal, $10,000 builds a church building And when I talked about this just in passing a few weeks ago, some of you wouldn't let me get out of the building. You were so eager for the opportunity, you came up to me and you said, I want a piece of that. Put me down for a thousand. I've already got three thousand given for it and we hadn't even asked. I think on the day that we celebrate God's faithfulness for 20 years in this place with us, would it not be cool? To build another church halfway around the world in one day with one offering. And it would only take another $7,000. This is so easy. Wouldn't that be cool? And here's here's just a little on who, Kathmandu, there it is if you'll click the next one. 30 million people live in that city. I hope that's right. That's staggering to me. But, but that's what the pastor there sent us. 30 million people live there. 81% of them are Hindu. 9% of them are Buddhist. 4% of them are Muslim. 3% are tribal. 1.4% know the Lord. 1.4%. You can look in a crowd of 100 And you're lucky if there's two that you'll see in eternity. And and we can't go there, but the good news is they're already there. Next slide. I want to move through these pretty quick. There's the couple over there on the left. uh, Crusade for Christ went to Nepal. And when they were teenagers, they came to Christ. Their parents kicked them out of their home. They got married. They decided that they were called to be in this same ministry that had been given to them. And since that time, they've been pastored in that area. When uh, 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 Chad and uh, uh, Scott Burnett, Chad Bland and Scott Burnett, when we went over there to train pastors, he was one of the pastors we trained in how to plant churches. And since that time, he's planted more churches than I have. 
In fact, here's here's next slide. Those are some of the other, these are the other churches that they've planted there. Branch churches, they start, next slide. And, and they love to baptize people there. Uh, you, you can see they're, they're in aqueducts and tubs and whatever's necessary. Get the water, give them Jesus. Here's Vacation Bible School. Kids everywhere. Here's, here's another one. Uh, Bible study in Nepal. Looks a lot like us, doesn't it? Open Bibles, searching the scriptures together for truth. Next one. Social work. Uh, what does it say over the top? Feeding ministry. Uh, water filtration. Um, annual child support. Uh, they, they go into the slums and they hand out toothbrushes. And they're received as if they're a gift of life. Because for many of them, that's exactly what it is. Uh, Christmas outreach. See the backpacks over there on the left? Do you know that's an idea from here that he heard and did there? You've already had an effect and an investment in this church. Uh, slum ministry. They go to where people are hurting the most and they make a difference there with as little as they have to give. So after, Go on. Homework club. That's where the kids go after school. They love on the kids and help them with their homework. Isn't that smart? Uh, family counseling. I don't know what they're doing over there on the right. That looks like a wedding cake kind of thing, but, it, but it's meatballs on a toothpick. I don't know what's going on, but uh, I don't think you got that idea from me. So anyway, next. More baptisms. Next. There's the land. They've signed a lease for this little piece of land. The room that they live in is now a room in their home where this couple lives. When, I think it was when Scott and I went there, we, we were taken to that room and they opened the door for us. They treated us like kings. We walked in and we sat down in the one room that they live in. Their, their, their beds there. We sat on their beds as she went into the, the kitchen and stirred us up a little toast with butter on it. Brought it back with, with tea. That was all she had to offer. But she served it on her best plastic plates. This is what it means in so many places of our world to participate with all that you are in the gospel. And, and right now, they're, they're praying over that piece of land. Every now and then, they'll send me updates. They don't have any idea. I said, will it wait till November? And they said, sure, it'll wait till November. That's the only hint they have that we might be doing anything. <laughs> Do you remember in 1914... Christmas, when we got the news that someone thought enough of the ministries of this church that they wanted to give a million dollars, so a million dollars into this church. I'm telling you, I had a different kind of Christmas that year. And, and, and our gift, when it arrives there, will have the same kind of effect. God has heard the prayers of the impossible and responded with his kind of miracle through his people. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I don't want you to leave here this morning without claiming that contentment, without breaking out of the prison of want, just asking God, God, I know this is mine. I know I'm yours and you're mine, but, but I'm on the treadmill 
I'm in a world of anxiety thinking that I never have enough. Lord Jesus, break into my heart this morning and make the reality of who you are such a reality for me that it frees me from that prison. Cry out to God this morning. He can do that. And many of us, I want you to go home asking God. Asking, We'll ask this in our... Our, our home teams, we, we won't have to give answers, but we'll encourage each other to be asking this question, God, what, what could I be freed to give to make that kind of difference? Lord, what can I invest? If you're going to make it a boomerang of blessing for me, God, help me think about now what's the minimum I can give? What's the maximum I can give? How can I get in on that harvest? If that seed in a harvest that you guarantee, how can I get you as much seed as possible that I might know the return of that harvest? We can be content. We can hold so many things that would imprison us loosely because our God holds us tightly. As we close this morning, will you find your way to that embrace? As we sing this song, would you make it your heart's cry to God? It's breakout time. In the name of Jesus, let's stand and sing the song. Let's stand and do the dance. Let's stand and be released to his reality in Jesus' name.